0: Welcome to the First Church Message of the Week podcast. Thanks for listening in. This week we continue our stewardship series titled A Deeper Well, in which we focus on how we can live lives of abundance over scarcity. What we offer God sometimes requires us to dig deep with immense trust and sacrifice. The widow of Zarephath digs deep and sacrifices much to trust Elijah's promise of abundance. How can digging deep to give meaningfully to the church help connect us with our trust in God. In this message of the week from October 10th, Pastor Jen Tyler shares from 1 Kings 17 and the story of Elijah and the widow. The story gives us a glimpse into what it means to trust God with every aspect of our lives. Here is the First Church message of the week. So as Sandy said, we are continuing our sermon series today on A Deeper Well. And today's story uh, that takes place around a well is going to come from 1 Kings in the Old Testament. And the story that she referred to about Elijah is from chapter 17. I'm going to read this here. Uh, You're welcome to follow along on the screen. It says, The Lord's word came to Elijah. Get up and go to Zarephath near Sidon and stay there. I have ordered a widow there to take care of you. Elijah left and went to Zarephath. As he came to the town gate, he saw a widow collecting sticks. He called out to her, please get a little water for me in this cup so that I can drink. She went to get some water. He then said to her, please get me a piece of bread. "'As surely as the Lord your God lives,' she replied, "'I don't have food. "'Only a handful of flour in a jar "'and a bit of oil in a bottle. "'Look at me. "'I'm collecting two sticks "'so that I can make some food for myself "'and my son will eat the last of the food "'and then die.'" Elijah said to her, "'Don't be afraid.'" Go and do what you said, only make a little loaf of bread for me first, then bring it to me. You can make something for yourself and your son after that. This is what Israel's God, the Lord, says. The jar of flour won't decrease and the bottle of oil won't run out until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. The widow went and did what Elijah said. So the widow, Elijah, and the widow's household ate for many days. The jar of flour didn't decrease, nor did the bottle of oil run out, just as the Lord spoke through Elijah. Here ends our reading. Let's pray together. Lord God, might you listen to your children praying and worshiping this day. Might you open our ears in this time together that we might hear you more and more clearly, see you more clearly, and love you more deeply, as you rid us from any and all distractions, so that all that we see and hear and know and feel and speak are of you. Amen. So this week we are continuing our sermon series on the deep wells within our life That live within and around us. We're talking over these weeks about what these wells have to teach us, specifically about generosity and abundance. Last week, we kicked off this series by talking about how water wells often show up in Scripture. We have a lot of stories that happen around water, whether it's rivers or wells or seas. Throughout Scripture, we have lots to choose from, and yet, wells are far from the only staple of life that shows up again and again in Scripture. While water is an important part of our life that we need for sustenance to physically survive, we also need something else, right? We also need food to survive. And over and over and over again, Scripture reminds us of the importance of food in our lives, in case we didn't already know that and it talks about this as a nourishment of our physical lives but also of our spiritual lives and often whether it's physical or spiritual lives that we are seeking to nourish there is one thing in particular that often represents this sustenance and that is as sandy showed us bread bread is this age-old kind of staple right we know that for thousands of years across countless cultures and lots of generations bread has been that that has has served as a primary nutrient for survival. It is something that is easily made with small modifications of some flour and some oil, maybe a little salt. Bread can be made over a fire or in an oven or in 2021, if you're fancy and efficient, maybe you have a bread machine and all you have to do is push a button, right? We know that bread is an important part of our lives. And while here today, I'm guessing if you're like me, you like bread a lot more than you need a physical loaf of bread, right? the truth is we can understand it as an easy metaphor of something that's necessary for survival, for nourishment, and for provision. That's why we still use phrases like talking about being the breadwinner in our home, or when we pray together each and every week, we pray that God would give us this day our daily bread. When we pray these things, we know that this isn't about a physical loaf of bread, but we are asking and trusting that God will provide all that we need. Sometimes when we talk about all that we need I think the truth is we need a lot less than we think we do, don't we? On any given day I can be caught saying that I need some things, right? So I need two, not just one, two cups of coffee every morning. I need dresses that have pockets because who doesn't love a dress with pockets, right? Or maybe we need that next fancy new piece of technology, or we need to have that next food that we're craving. We could fill in the long list of blanks of things that we often talk about lightheartedly that we need in our lives. But what do we need, really? We do have some basic needs, of course. We need clothing to wear, clothing specifically that protects us from the elements, like the hot sun in the summer, or that wonderful blistery cold that's coming in the Dakota's winter. We need shelter over our heads. We need water and food that provide us with basic nutrition. We need things like love and community and Jesus. There are arguments to be made about other things that we need too, over and above this short list I've started. But for many of us, I think we can be quick to think we need things that we, well, don't. I think we can be quick to forget the hardship that comes when we don't have our very basic needs met first. And in the story that I just read from 1 Kings, these characters in the story, they knew what it was to struggle for some basic needs. And when the story takes place in the verses immediately before the passage I read, it reminds us that the entire land of Israel is in a drought. They are facing a famine, and they are truly suffering. That is what prompts Elijah to move as he moves towards the widow, as God tells him. Because in the verses before, it tells us that his source of water was drying up. And so God wanted to send him to a new place to find what he needs. Only this time, it's not just a new well or source of water that comes from the ground, but it's also a life-saving well that would come in the form of a person. You see, God sends Elijah to Zarephath, to a widow who is caught up in the land's famine. Elijah asks her for a little water, and she promptly gives it to him without hesitation. But then he asks her for bread, too. Just a crumb, just a little bit. He says, won't you give me a piece of bread? And she says to him, as surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any food. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little bit of oil in a bottle. Look at me, she says. I'm collecting two sticks so that I can make some food for myself and my son. We'll eat the last of the food and then die. The last of the food, and they are preparing to die. This poor widow, who has no one to help her, no one to care for her, who has worked long and hard to make her ends meet as best as she can, she has stretched out that bit of flour that she has to make sure they have bread to eat, but she has finally come to the end. And she realizes that she can't make it work anymore. Her basic supplies that she has relied on for so long have finally run out. I imagine she's devastated at this realization, but she also seems to have come to some peace with the fact that the end is near, and she has done everything she can until this point. She thinks that she has a plan. And then Elijah enters in and he asks her to give her that little bit of bread that she has left. And to be honest, when I read this story, sometimes I hear that he asks her for that piece of bread and I think, how dare you? How dare you ask for so much? from someone who has so little. And then I keep reading in the story and it pushes some of my buttons. Can you tell? But I realize that Elijah has only asked her for this because God told him to. And sometimes it makes me realize we become so afraid of stepping on someone's toes or for inconveniencing someone when we need to ask for help that we don't want to take from anyone around us, even those ready and willing to give, because, well, we can do it ourselves, right? But to not ask others for help when we need it is to take away the opportunity that they have to live into their own generosity. And in this case, God not only told Elijah to go and to ask her, but God did so knowing what the widow had and didn't have. And yet God asked him to go anyway. God asked Elijah to go knowing that the widow, who knew in the depths of her being what it was to have hunger pains, she knew what it was to live through suffering And God knew that this very same woman also knew what it was to be kind and to be generous and to care for the strangers among us. God knew that this woman would dig deep within herself and do as Elijah requested. And just like God knew she would, she did. And it's a miracle, isn't it? Right? That God did exactly as Elijah promised in return. God provides for her and God ensures that the food would never run out. As it tells us in verse 16, the jar of flour didn't decrease, nor did the bottle of oil run out, just as the Lord spoke through Elijah. It never ran out. That is a miracle. But I would argue that it's actually the second miracle in this story. Because the first miracle was the widow's trust. The way that she dug deep within herself and trusted in Elijah's God, who it might be worth noting was not her own God. It was not a God she had ever known or worshipped before. But even still, it tells us that she trusted enough that she took the little bit that she had, And she shared it generously. And to get under our skin a little bit more that he would ask of this, she didn't just give of what was her own at her own personal cost. She gave of what belonged also to her child. Is not a mother's intuition to care first for your children? And yet she gave of that to a stranger. She gave generously because of a promise that someone else's God would surely provide. Friends, that is digging deep. To be exhausted, to be starving, and to still want, or at least be willing to give a little more in that moment. My hope and prayer is that none of us will ever have to know the depth of that kind of suffering that she endured, but that we would be able to learn from her about what it looks like to live with that kind of trust, the kind of trust that calls us to sacrifice and to taking risks as we try to trust more and more and more deeply in God. What would it look like for us to dig deep in our own lives, in our own circumstances, and to sacrifice a little bit more, to give a little bit more generously of what we have. The truth is that doesn't look the same for all of us. I imagine it changes in different seasons of our lives as well. I remember the first time I was challenged to think about this. I was in high school, and to be honest, living with generosity was something that came naturally to me. If you asked me about my time, or my energy, or being present, uh, never money, though. I mean, who gives away your money? Who does that? And I remember I was in high school. I was young. I was working for minimum wage that was, you know, a lot less than it is today. I was working full-time, though, even in high school. Um, But even so, even through working, I made sure that I was at church. I never missed church. I was at church every Sunday, and I was at church every Wednesday. And I know that's not typical for youth, but that's probably part of why I'm a pastor today, right? I gave faithfully of my time, of my talents, of my energy, of my service. But I didn't give to the church financially. Once in a while, I might stick a dollar or five in there. But I honestly didn't think that the little bit of money that I had would make a difference. Until my pastor extended a challenge to the congregation one year and he offered to take his tithe that he was already giving and double it. To give 20% of his own income to the church for a time if he could get 10 people in the congregation who had never tithed before to commit to tithing for three months. Not even indefinitely, but for three months. And he talked about this as part of the importance of giving as a spiritual discipline, as an important part of our faith, as we learn to trust in God and to know that God wants us to give of all that we have first, not in what's left over, not the $5 bill we used to have, but with intentionality first. How different would our lives be, he asked, if we really, gave all, if we really all gave so faithfully and so generously that we had to rely on God to do it. Now, I share this story because I remember feeling really unsure, right? Clearly, I was young. I didn't make very much. But what I did make, honestly, I needed. Um, I was struggling to make ends meet, and I know that sounds weird for a teenager, but I didn't grow up in a family that had very much. And so I started working the first chance I got. I remember nannying full-time over the summer when I was 12, and the day I turned 14, I went and applied for a job, and I have worked full-time since the day I was legally allowed to do so. I worked hard for things like my first car. I paid $200 for that first car, and it ran for almost six months. I was really proud of that car. My little Kenny the Cavalier, I called him. I worked hard to pay for the car, and for the insurance, and for the gas money, and for the other things I needed to get to and from work and school. I worked hard to make sure that I had enough to be able to eat hot lunch at school because that was new to me, or to buy brand new clothes in a store that wasn't a thrift shop or a clearance rack for the first time in my life. I worked hard for my money, and it didn't go very far. That was an awful lesson to learn at a young age. But I didn't make much. But I couldn't help but to wonder, could the little bit that I did have really make a difference? I asked my pastor that. I was like, look, I don't make very much. Some of these adults, like their 10% is, you know, as much as I make in a year. So does mine even count? I remember wondering if what I could give was even worth it. And I remember the enthusiastic and unhesitated, yes, you should try this. I remember being surprised that there wasn't even hesitation. And I remember being surprised at how hard it was after I made this commitment. The first time I got a paycheck, every two weeks. And I sat down and I calculated exactly 10% to the penny, because I was not going to short God a nickel. And I was really excited to be a part of something bigger than myself, even if I worried about how I was going to pay the insurance bill. But you know what? The months went by. My hesitation faded. And my joy actually kind of grew a little. I looked forward to the opportunity to place that check in the uh, the plate when it came around. I looked forward to being an opportunity, uh, being part of an opportunity to give back to this church that had given me so much. I remember how blessed I felt and how fulfilling it was. And I remember how the deep trust that I thought it would take got a lot easier, a lot quicker than I thought it would. So much so that I felt like I benefited so much from giving in this way even if it meant I had to count my pennies a little closer that I didn't want to stop when the three months were up and so I actually didn't. I kept counting those pennies and writing those checks and from that time when I was a teenager until now, I've never stopped giving my tithe every month, at least 10% to the church. This is, for me, one of the most important spiritual disciplines in my life. When I don't give faithfully of what God has given me, it hurts me in my spirit. It is a gift to be able to give generously to the church because I know that God has already given it to me first. I know that when I trust in God with things like my finances— Trusting in God for other things comes a lot easier too. Now, don't get me wrong, I say I've always given faithfully and I've tried, but there have been some times in my life that I struggled to do that. I remember when I was living in Washington, D.C., as a missionary with this tiny little salary, and sometimes I struggled literally to put food on the table and to pay some of my basic bills. And I remember how hard that was on me because I gave but not a full tithe. And frankly, it hurt me spiritually. I gave what I could though, even as I longed to give more. And as soon as I was able, I jumped back to a full tithe. Whether I was giving 10% or 4%, even then though, I know that God was with me and that God had something to teach me through it. Things that maybe we can talk about another day but here today I look back on those difficult times in my life and I realize that there is one truth that has always been there and that is that each and every one of us you and me alike we always think we need more don't we until we have a little less and that's when we realize that actually Probably we could give more and still have enough. We could live more and love more and still have more. And it makes me wonder how God might be calling us, might be calling you to do some of these things. Maybe to dig a little deeper. To trust a little more. To give more to move from giving a dollar amount each month that feels comfortable and easy to giving 5 or 6 or 7 or 10% of our income as a full tithe. I wonder how God, who calls us to dig deep and to give generously and to tithe faithfully and to trust always, how might God be calling you to do these things? Because if the widow of Zarephath can teach us anything, I think it is the truth and the hope that come with the powerful promise that our God is one of abundance, one who longs for each and every one of us to dig a little deeper as we seek to give in meaningful ways that help us to trust in God and to never underestimate the power and the gift of living a generous life. And so as we prepare in a moment to give of our tithes and offerings, or in two weeks from now when we prepare to bring forth our commitments for what we will pledge to give to the church in the new year, as we prepare for these things, friends, I want to invite you to do none of those things without praying first and asking God to open us up to the blessings of generosity that are already waiting for us. Let's pray together. God of abundance, we thank you for all that you have blessed us with this day, for the days that you remind us, oh God, that we have more than we need and that you are with us in our moments of strength and abundance, and you are with us in the moments we struggle to make those ends meet. In all of these times, oh God, may you be with us and help us to see you, to trust in you, and to honor that faithfulness that you have first shown to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us for the First Church Message of the Week. To stay connected, subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Facebook. For more information on our church calendar, visit our website at watertownfirst.church. This has been the First Church Message of the Week.